do uh, over the past over the past weeks that uh, we will be initiating this sermon starting August one. And so today I'm going to ask you if you turn to Matthew chapter twenty four. Is this in fact you really? In fact, what we're going to do? We have it up there on the screen. If you want to take notes, please take notes as we're going to begin to move through this series to begin to declare certain things to you from the Word of God. Matthew 24 is going to be our principal verse that we're going to start with. Amen. Beginning with verse 3, Matthew 24 and 3 is where we're going to start our beginning uh, here. Let's just look to the throne of grace. Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to stand here in this pulpit. We do not take it for granted that first and foremost, Lord God, you own this pulpit. Father, it is yours. And from it, Lord God, we are required to declare the word of God as the word truly of God, not hearsay, not any kind of things that we have made up and not any kind of thing that is full of emotion, but we will proclaim your word, Lord God, that the, the, those who hear it may grow thereby. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway, that at the entrance of your word there is light, Lord God. For, Father, we thank you that your word, Lord God, is there to lead us and guide us. So this morning we ask, Lord God, that you will bless us with your presence. Hide me behind the cross, Lord God, and we're careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. As we're talking about the times that we're living in, there has been no other time on the face of the planet where the signs of Jesus' imminent return are happening with such intensity as they are today. Bible prophecy after Bible prophecy points to the likelihood that Jesus will return. And the way it's looking right now, this may be the generation on the planet right now who will see his returning. Now, I wanted to let you know we're not setting dates. We're not doing those things to declare anything above what the word of God declares. Because in Matthew 24, verse 36, it declares, no man knoweth the day nor the hour when the Son of Man shall appear. So there are many who have set dates. I remember when I was in Haiti in 2011, there was a billboard up there that Jesus is going to return. I believe the date was May 2011. The Bible has been very specific that no man knoweth the day nor the hour. And so when we begin to see what the Scriptures declare concerning Jesus' return, there are those who have even recently set dates, even this past year setting dates, that the Lord will return within this period of time. I don't know about you. I cannot be one who will begin to postulate a date. But the disciples asked Jesus three questions. Tell us, beginning in verse 3, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. The first sign that Jesus said that we need to look for is there's widespread deception that is taking place on the planet. You see, we're living in a day and time where even our media is talking about fake news. 
There are times that you can hear the words coming out someone's mouth and look at the video and they don't match. Deception is taking place. You see, it is no longer that our handshakes mean the truth. Back in the day, all we had to do was shake on it and admit, I'm obligating myself by what I just shook my hand on. But today, you can have contracts 50, 75, 100 pages long and still declare, that's not what I meant. Deception. The Word of God declares that even after deception, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. We have looked at our, remember those of us uh, who are old enough, we can remember when David Koresh with the Waco, Texas events where they began to look at, we are defending that we know all of this. They're coming in the name of Jesus. And how many of us remember Jim Jones in Guyana and the hundreds of people who gave their lives at that point? I don't know if you remember Marshall Applewhite. He led the group where the people thought that somehow that the Lord was coming behind a comet. Then so they somehow dressed themselves in tennis shoes and drank whatever the Kool-Aid was and killed themselves. Mm. But you see, it just didn't start there. The Bible history, Josephus tells us, even after Jesus had resurrected and gone back into glory, there were those who said that they were he. There was a one by Simon who came up and declared that he was the Lord and he was the one working such great miracles and talking about the things of God only to find out it was short-lived. If you remember when, the, when the, the Pharisees were attacking or about to deal with the disciples of Jesus and they said, and one spoke up and said, look, if this thing be of God, who are we to fight against God? Remember Thutis back in the day? He led many astray. And I need you to know that when they captured and killed Thutis at that point, they beheaded him and hung his head up high because he had said that he was the one. How many today are declaring, I am the Christ, the one who the Bible has talked about? There's one even right now in South, Car in South America who is working such signs and is fooling the people saying that I am he. There are people who are bowing down to other people declaring that they are the Christ. They are the ones who have been uh, sought by, by the scriptures to declare. They're the ones who the Bible is talking about. How many times have we gone in some places and there's such reverence shown to the man or the woman of God that they're literally, you're thinking that they are Jesus Christ. But the Lord says there is deception. Many shall come in my name and declare, I am he. But the Bible declares they will deceive many. You see, when we're dealing with these signs, I need you to know, when Jesus says, many shall come in my name, literally what he's saying, they shall assume my character. They're going to try to act like me. They are going to act like they've been sent from so on high, and they got the latest, greatest revelation from God. 
but I need you to know everything that God has been has declared has already been encased in these 62 books. And he says, my word shall not change. I will honor my word. God has also said at the end of the book, anybody who adds to it or takes away from it, their place in the book of life shall be removed. So we are in a very dangerous place to begin to listen to these who are popping up saying that I am the Christ. Hmm. Oh, so when we begin to look at, they're suggesting that I have the authority of Christ. Now, I know in Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, Behold, I give unto you power to trade over scorpions and over serpents and over all the work of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Yes, Jesus has delegated us the authority. God even delegated that authority to us in the garden when he created Adam and says, I have given unto you every every herb-bearing seed, everything in the garden, and I want you to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. We've been given authority. But I need you to know there is an authority that we have not been given, and that is the authority to say anything more than what God has already declared. The authority of God. He says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. I need you to know that even now on the planet, we have more skirmishes, more countries at odds with one another. When we had World War I, when the countries came together, they began to say that we will never encounter this again. So they formed a union to begin to say this would never happen, only to see it followed through within 20, 30 years later with World War II. How many of you remember the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Iraq-Kuwait War, the Afghanistan war, and how many other skirmishes have taken place between various groups on the planet still fighting to this day? Wars and rumors of wars. Jesus says, see that you're not easily troubled. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. The end is not yet. There were those who just heard that and said, oh, the end is coming. The sky is falling. God is coming. He says, wait a minute. I need you to know something. The end is not yet. You see, the church has the message of proclaiming this gospel throughout all the world. So the end cannot come until this gospel is preached throughout all the world. The early church had a message. They call it the blessed return. How many of us see Jesus' return as the blessed return? Or are we fearful? Are we wondering if we are going to be with him when he returns? The blessed return. In other words, this is the very thing that we've been hoping for, waiting for for our entire life. It is the blessed expectation that one day Jesus will crack the sky and the dead in Christ shall be caught up. And he, we who remain, shall meet the Lord in the air. So shall we forever be with the Lord. Oh, the return, the return, the return. Jesus says, I need you to know something else. 
all of these signs, deception. With today, racial unrest and prejudice, bigotry and hatred, begin to look at the signs that have been plaguing our streets. was talking with uh, one of our friends last night on the telephone. He says, uh, they're still tearing down statues and still doing all these things up here in Richmond. Need you to know such unrest has gripped the people of God. But we have the signs even now. When we begin to see these signs, how about COVID-19 now? The fact that we're in church with masks on. The fact that many people are even afraid to even come out of their doors now, come out of their houses simply because we are now in another surge and many people are passing away, dying because of COVID-19 signs. signs. I believe that when we begin to see more of what the scripture declares, Matthew 24, the scripture begins to declare at the beginning of verse 37. Hallelujah. Matthew 24, 37, it says, And the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. Like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man be. I need you to know. Notice the Bible, Jesus does not say they were doing anything wrong. In other words, what he's saying, they were going about their business as they normally do business. Uh-huh. People working jobs. Uh-huh. People uh, giving in marriage. People having parties. People doing whatever these things are. Notice it says that it's going to be just like in the days of Noah. Now, when we look at the days of Noah, we got to realize what was the reason God destroyed the earth with the flood? Simply because lawlessness and wickedness had covered the place, the entire planet. Is that what we're seeing today? Such level, such lawlessness that our children are killing their brothers and sisters who look like them simply for sport. Lawlessness. People who are breaking and entering in people's houses simply because they need a new thrill. Oh, when we look at lawlessness, that there is nothing that, that's going to stop this thing of no fear. I will do whatever I want to whom I want. The level of respect and integrity has gone out the window. And people now are living at such a base level. The Bible that says, such as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Sounds familiar. Sounds like anything that we're seeing right now. It goes a little further and says, Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. 
In other words, you won't get a memo. You won't get any, any other prior notices. He, Jesus has declared, I'm coming at a time that you would not even be able to expect my coming. You see, saints, we have to understand that God is saying to you and I, and Jesus is preparing us for his return. So in other words, he said, stop sleeping. Stop falling asleep on the job. Be busy, be vigilant, be diligent, be committed to what God has called you to do because you don't know at what hour he's coming. There were times that my wife and I told our sons, have this house clean before we get back. And they played and they looked at TV and they did their, ex their videos or whatever they did. But bottom line is, it is when they heard the key in the door, now they're trying to get straight. And how many of you know it was too late? You see, we got to understand, the Bible is declaring to you and I, now is the day of salvation. So we must prepare for the Lord's return. How is it that the people of God have fallen asleep that we're no longer serving God with such diligence? So what do you mean, Pastor? If you're doing and preparing for his return, how should you be living? Oh, at this moment, we got to begin to look at what kind of Bible study are you doing personally? Reading the scriptures for yourself. Or is that Bible still open on the coffee table on the same page that's been there for the last 15 years? How much preparation are we doing reading the scripture? Let's talk about our prayer life. What kind of praying are we doing? Because prayer is our conversation with God. Why? Because the Lord says in that day, there are going to be those who stand before me and say, Lord, did not we do this and then we do that? He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. In other words, yes, you did these things thinking somehow these will make you right with me, but you never took the time to know me personally for yourself. Oh, hallelujah. So if we know he's coming, if we know he's soon to come, are you getting ready now? Or is it still business as usual? I'm still partying like it's 1999. And I'm praying he don't catch me on the dance floor. Uh, I'm still doing my thing, my wickedness and my lascivious behavior, my whatever it may be. I'm still caught up in it saying, the Lord will understand. But if he catches me and that's my lifestyle, what is my expectation? I need you to know that when we're talking about the return of the Lord, Notice what he says. If the thief, if the owner of the house knew the hour that the thief was going to break in, when he not getting ready, you stayed up all night just to make sure you're going to catch that joker. Well, how many of us have fallen asleep even now? How many churches you find that the moment the pastor gets up to bring the message, you got... And we think it's funny. Oh, look at the deacons. They all sleep. 
You see, saints, we're falling asleep on the job. I'm not picking on anyone. And those of you who are watching me online, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just trying to stir you up and declare this is the time you need to wake up, stir yourself up, and say, I need to get right with the Lord because he's soon to come. Mm. Oh. I need you to know that despite King Saul's failures, God still had a man after his own heart, David. And it was after David's son Solomon grew the kingdom to an even greater level, it was Solomon's very sons who had the kingdom divided. So I need to say something to your parents. You can stay in church all day, getting right with God, but you better look back at your children and begin to see, are they working for God or are they working against what God has in store? You better pray. You better keep talking. Stop telling me about they won't listen. You better keep talking, keep pointing, keep directing, keep praying, and keep saying, oh, no, Satan, you will not have my child. Mmm. Mmm. Oh. I need you to know that God saw the iniquity that came on the planet as a result of Adam's failure. God saw it, and, and God intervened, and he, began, and he put a plan together, a timeline in which he would begin to intervene himself. I need you to know that the Scripture says it was in the fullness of the times that God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin. You see, God had already measured out a new when this would intervene, when he would intervene. The prophet Jeremiah began to declare some things. I'm sorry, let's go to Luke. Luke says, uh, talking about the same scripture, Luke 17, 28 through 30, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. And then in verse 32, 33, he says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life We'll preserve, we'll preserve it. In other words, the Bible has given us several indications of how this time will be. Matthew said it's going to be like in the days of Noah, and Luke has said it's going to be like in the days of Lot. You'll find out when you remember the story of Lot, how Lot found himself in Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of Abraham, the angels went to bring Lot out of Sodom. The place was so wicked. And when we look at the various sins, one of the sins that was named there was the sin of homosexuality. And I know that there was this very reason why, because when the angels came to Lot, the men of the city desired them for sexual favors. Lot said, don't do this thing to these men. Take my daughters. Do with them as you will, but do not do these things to these men. And so the angels literally ushered Lot into the house and closed the door behind it, letting them know only because of the prayers of Abraham interceding 
Lord, if there be 50, will you save the city? Abraham, if there are 50, I will spare the city. Lord, if there be 40, will you save the city? Lord, if you're 30, will you save the city? Lord, if there's 20, will you save? Lord, I'm going to ask one more time, and I hope I'm not getting on your nerves. If there's 10 righteous. Now, I need you to know we're talking about a city of 100,000 or more people. And if there are 10, you see, saints, you and I have been fooled thinking that everybody in the house is right. We've been thinking that everybody in the city is right. But I need you to know only God knows those who he has declared as righteous. And so you can't look at that because everybody else does a particular thing that makes it right. It doesn't matter how many laws the Supreme Court has passed to allow abortion or allow this to any other. It doesn't make it right. It does not mean that because we can't speak politically correct, uh, we must be politically correct about certain things. I need you to know God says, I am God and I change not. But because of such great mercy and great grace, God has forgiven us all who have come to him He's forgiven us for all of our sins. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And so now he's saying now, while he's made the way plain, Jesus says in John 10, 10, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Oh, too many people are looking at alternatives, other ways to come to God. And yes, there are many ways but I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to believe what this book says because this book says if one jot or tittle of my word does not come to pass, heaven and earth shall pass away. This book says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he shall lie. Have you said it? Will he not bring it to pass? So in other words, God is saying you can stake your claim on this book because it will come to pass. Mm. Oh. God used several prophets to speak about what this time looked like. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah. And as we begin to say, but God declares to Amos, I need you to know, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. In other words, God is giving us a heads up right now. He's using those to begin to proclaim, open up your ears and begin to hear what God is saying. God is saying, I'm telling you the end of a thing from the beginning. So we need to pay attention. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You can take this to the bank. And so when we see what the prophet Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity. Notice how God declares, I have put a time span on your punishment. That's what he's saying to the nation. Because I keep forgiving you and you keep going back out doing what you want to do. 
I love you with an everlasting love. I'm long-suffering that none should perish, that all will have everlasting life. But there will be times that God would allow his punishment, his judgment to fall just to get our attention. God intervened, intervened in the nation to get their attention and so doing. He began to put a time frame, 70 years, will I allow this to take place? Israel had gone back and forth. Lord, we repent. God forgives, and they go right back to doing what they were doing. And how many of us know that's up? God ain't going to do it no more. If you forgive me this time, I promise you, Lord, I won't do it no more. I don't know about you, but I done said that prayer too many times myself. Huh? So, so there are times that God will allow some things that will hurt us to take place, but it will accomplish his purpose. Oh, Saints, I need you to know God was, he was, he was entreating us from the beginning as a loving father to his children. Listen, obey my counsel and avoid the things that are yet to fall. But many of us, I'm grown. I can do my thing. Only to find out later on when it's time to pay the piper. We're crying out to God. Mm. So this land this prophecy that God gave. While this prophecy was written, it was 100 years later where there was a, one of God's servants had been taken captive because of this very thing. It was a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel had been taken captive and held in Babylon. But because of Daniel's, the anointing of God on the life of Daniel, Daniel's commitment to faithfulness with God, God even exalted him even though he was a captive in a country that was an enemy to Israel, Daniel. We remember Daniel on the scene that when Daniel and his three Hebrew friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they found themselves eating at the king's table, and they had such a level of commitment to the word of God that they chose not to defile themselves with those portions that fell from the king's table. Look at that, a level of dedication. You're eating the latest, all the fat, best foods in the land offered to you, but because of your dedication and commitment to God, you refrain and say, I can't eat that. How many of us could have done that? Uh. All it takes is just always saying, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to stop eating this. I'm going on a diet. I'm going on a fast. How did it go? You see, we've all broken it. We've all come short. Huh? And here yet were these three Hebrew boys. They're teenagers. And they've committed themselves. We will not defile ourselves. With this food. Later on, we hear about these guys that there was a statue erected there unto the king, and they sent out a law that whoever does not bow down when you hear all of this taking place will be thrown in the lion's den. And there we find out that Daniel refused to bow down. You see, when you know who your God is, there are things that you just can't bow down to. It doesn't matter that everybody else is doing it. 
is that there's something that you say, I cannot bow down to this. Everybody else is accepting it. It's politically correct. You can't speak on this. You're about to be sued. I cannot bow down to this. After Daniel was put into the lion's den, and because the king really, he had earned the king's favor, the king said, Daniel, you're alive. I'm here. Let Daniel out. Now, those of you who brought this up and accused him of it, throw them in there. Those lions, they had some filet mignon. <laughs> As they ate those guys who threw them in there. Look at how the table turns. You see, saying some of us think that it's a bad thing following God, but I can tell you, I've seen God turn it around too many times for my good. Uh, you see, when, when your enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. If I before you, I'm more than the whole world against you. You see, God has a way of turning this thing around. The old saying, you dig a ditch for me, you better dig one for yourself. Because too many have found themselves falling in the very plots that they set for other people. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. Let me move on from Daniel because I got so much uh, I want to share with you. You see, Daniel 9, 24, this is the second vision that God gave Daniel. And Daniel, before he got this vision, Daniel had, been, had read the scriptures from Jeremiah. And he began to look at, Lord, I realized something as I went back searching the scriptures. Jeremiah says that when we will be taken into captivity, you have said we will only be here 70 years. So Daniel began to count the time and began to realize where they were in the process. God gives him a second vision here. Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks have been decreed for your young people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks it will be built up again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Saints, what is this all saying? God has given us a time frame, and we have never searched the scriptures. We didn't know it was here. What has God declared? He says 70 weeks have been given. 70 weeks. He says in these 70 weeks, it's going to be determined. It's going to put a is going to put, rather, a finish to transgression. In other words, the price of all transgressions will be paid for at the end, or during these 70 weeks, rather. Second thing is, it's going to make an end to sin in these 70 weeks. These 70 weeks have been set up to make an atonement for iniquity. These 70 weeks are set up to bring about an everlasting righteousness. These 70 weeks have been set up 
to seal up the vision and prophecy. And lastly, to anoint the holy place. Now, when I see what's taking place here in these 70 weeks, my mind begins to wonder, who is able to do this? To pay for all transgressions. Who is able to put an end to sin? Who is able to make an atonement for our iniquity? Who's, ever, who's able to bring about an everlasting righteousness? Who's able? As I begin to look and stop right there, there's only one name that comes to my mind. Jesus the Messiah. So you're going to tell me, Pastor, that in the Old Testament book of Daniel, it began to talk about a New Testament book where Jesus would be on the scene. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see the labor of what Jesus did. The Old Testament. Here, Jeremiah, and now Daniel, who knows how many hundreds of years before this took place. In fact, I can tell you it's over 400 years. And now we will begin to see the fulfillment of what God has declared. Notice it said 70 weeks. Now, I need you to know something. When the Bible in this check is talking about weeks, those are years. Those are years, and it's called a weeks now. So when we begin to look at this, we begin to see how Daniel has begun to tell us about our these in time. Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of that prince who will come will destroy the city and sanctuary. And his end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Look at what it's saying about these 70 weeks. First, it talks about the first week, seven. Then it goes to 62 more weeks. So let's look at this thing as we begin to break it down. The scripture declares after seven and 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. In other words, 69 weeks. Seven plus 62. 69 weeks. Now, I need you to know that since we're talking about this time frame, let's begin to see. Okay, here we are. The prophetic clock. Saints, when we look at this prophetic clock, notice that it said, from the first going out of the command. The first going out of the command. This took place in, under the reign of Oxerxes. When we see that it, in 444, 445, the command was given, Jews, you can turn, return back to your own home. The 70 years are up. From the going out of the command for them to return, that's where the clock started. Started clicking at that point. The second thing that happened in this is that the streets, the walls built in, even in troublesome times. In this point, we're beginning to look at from those seven weeks, rather, 
49 years, seven times seven, and 49 years, the Jews went back to their home, and they began to rebuild their home. But it was only when we studied the scriptures of a prophet by the name of Nehemiah. If you remember, when he says, how goes it back home? And when we begin to hear what they said, they says that the city lies in ruin and the house of God and the walls are yet to be repaired. And it worked on Nehemiah's heart in such a way that the king gave Nehemiah his blessing to go home and repair the walls. And that's where it says, and the walls and the streets will be repaired. That happened there under Nehemiah, which then started the second part of this whole thing. Oh, the 62 weeks has now started. And so for that 62 weeks, we're talking about 62 times 7. When we begin to look at this at this point, we're looking at 483. And now, and that 483 years, at the end of that time or within that 483 years, something happens. The calendar was done. They looked at figuring this out on the Jewish calendar. And the Jewish calendar specifically declared that the Messiah's point in the church age will take place. And the Messiah, rather, not the church age. Now, this is from Sir Robert Anderson. He did a critical study of Daniel's vision of the 70 weeks. Looking back through the historical chronology, he determined that the first day was in Nisan 445 B.C. This now would have been translated into the date of March the 14th on the Gregorian calendar. Now, the law of the Jews, that the Jews did not figure the calendar around the revolutions of the earth around the sun. They figured it out on the revolutions of the moon around the earth. And therefore, they figured out a year at 360 days as opposed to the 365 days that you and I take for granted. And thus, based on this, this is 69 weeks times 7 equals 483 weeks. Multiply that times 360 days, it equals 173,880 days. And when he began to count all the days from the moment of the command that you can go back home, it ended up on Passover Sunday in March of that year, 32. That Passover Sunday was the Sunday that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's the only time in Scripture that he has ever publicly declared himself as the Messiah. And that's when the Scripture that says over 400 years ago that the Messiah will come. Here comes Jesus on the actual day of Palm Sunday riding into Jerusalem on the exact day that the prophecy said. Now, you tell me how you're going to get that right. So on that day, and the 69 weeks ended, it was the faithful day that the Lord Jesus rolled into Jerusalem in fulfillment of the, of the prophecy of Zechariah 9 and 9, that here comes your king riding into Jerusalem lowly on the foal of a donkey. 
Ah, you see, saints, I don't know about you, but I'm just ready to shout how God does his math. He figured it out to the very day that his son will come in Jerusalem riding on a donkey. God figured it out to the very day. And it is the only time, I'm repeating it, it is the only time that Jesus ever rode a donkey to go anywhere. And it's the only time that Jesus ever called himself Messiah. So we begin to see in Daniel's weeks. Daniel 9, 24. Now, we've moved beyond that point, and we're now going to the point of where the future takes place. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. You might say, Pastor, why did, what just happened? From the moment that Jesus was crucified and died on that point, notice the scripture says, seal up the vision. Stop it. In other words, time stopped. At that point, it is at that point that we do not see anything as it relates that that relates to the church. But it's at that point that the church was founded at that time. God stopped the time clock just for the church to come into existence. And as he stopped the clock for the church, it is there that is given to you and I to take advantage of the opportunity God has given us to hear the good news, and to have eternal life with him through his son. So he stopped the clock. It's called the gap theory. It is there that, that after Jesus was cut off, as you heard the scripture declare, oh, let's go back. What did it say? It says, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Then it says, and the people of that prince who has come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, he stopped the processional, and he started crying. And it is there that he wept over Jerusalem because he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a mother chicks would gather, a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you would not come. He was offering them Oh, the escape of what was going to happen. Can I say that when it says that, and the people of that prince who is to come will destroy the city, within 70 years, King Emperor Titus came and destroyed Jerusalem, that when they thought that all of this grandeur would forever stand, Jesus told them that, remember when he told them in Matthew 24, not one stop, not one stone shall be upon another in that day. Why? Because within 70 years, Jerusalem was ransacked. That's when he says, if you're in the fields, don't come back to the house. If you're on the rooftop, don't come down. Bottom line, what are you saying? You need to look at, and, and, if you, and, and you better pray at this point concerning this day. There was blood running so because of the Jews and their fight against Emperor Titus that they destroyed the entire city. Pregnant women killed, children killed, everyone killed. That's why Jesus wept, saying, I would have gathered you, but you wouldn't come. Do you realize that's what he's saying to us right now? I will gather you if you only come because there is a pending destruction that will take place and I'm calling you now that I can spare you. Mm. 
Oh, hallelujah. That's where we are. Micah 4, verse 1 to 3. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the people will stream to it. Look at what it's declaring. Look at what it's declaring. After all of this takes place, look at what he's promising. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us about his ways. How is it going to be taught by God himself? Oh, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. This is the part right here. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. This is the promise of the Lord. This is the promise of what will happen in this day. So where do we go? Isaiah says he will judge between that nation and will render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. In other words, you've heard it from two different prophets saying the same thing. How shall a matter be declared? Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let's give a wrap this up. So what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20? Go ye therefore into all the nations. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the age. Father, we thank you. Father, as you have called us and showed us what's taking place, now you're commanding us to go and make it known. Father, if we didn't know now, today we do know. Lord Jesus, you have given us salvation, the hope of the promise of eternal life in you. And you have called us to make it known and available to as many as we can. Lord, send these, your people, out. Even those who are looking on this on the internet, send them out. Let them be soul winners, Lord. Let them go to proclaim this message everywhere they go. Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all will have everlasting life. Father, I pray for families. I pray for families that don't know you, Lord God. Families that have children 
whether they're young or whether they're old, who think that they don't need you. I pray for those, Lord God, those, Lord God, who will ultimately face you, Lord God, and stand before you with no excuse. I pray for them now. I pray for that one who had a relationship with you but has walked away. I pray now, return them back to you, Lord God. May they be drawn back to you, Lord God, even now. Oh, Father, I pray for that one who's in prison. Lord God, they're going through many major traumatic things, Lord God. But I pray, Lord God, even now that this message will reach them, that they will declare, what must I do? to be saved. Lord, I pray for those on the battlefield, our military men who are traveling throughout the country, throughout the world, Lord God. I pray your protection upon them, and I pray, Lord God, that they'll realize it's only because of your mighty hand of protection and mercy. Oh, Father, let them know, Lord God, that when they begin to talk about bullets flying past that could have hit them, let them know that they even have loved ones home, Lord God, who've been praying for them. Oh, Father, we thank you. Father, for that one, Lord God, Lord God, who's suffering and their hearts are becoming bitter. They may have a financial need. They may have a physical need a need for healing in their body. They may, Lord God, be going through emotional unrest, but it's turning their heart against you. I pray even now, turn their heart back to you, Lord God. May they turn their heart back to you. Oh, Father. For our young men who are out here on the street game banging and shooting and killing one another. Oh, Father, even now, get their attention. Turn them back to you, Lord God. Oh, Father, we're praying for them right now. For marriages, Lord God. Lord God, marriages that are going through upheaval, I pray, Lord God, you're able to reconcile. You're able, Lord God, if we will die to ourselves, you're able to reconcile us. Lord God, even back together, you're the healer. Oh, Lord God. So, Father, open up the windows of heaven. Pour out your blessings the blessing of your favor, your presence, the blessings of your miracle-working power, the blessing of your grace and your mercy upon each and every last one. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are looking at us right now on the internet, we pray that something has been declared that has touched your heart. And we pray that even in this hour, that you will seek out our church home that you can begin to grow in. If you don't have that church home, we ask you to come on, keep, keep looking at us, keep visiting us. And when the doors and everything open in terms of everything returns back, come on, sit in one of these chairs. But right now, we want to let you know we thank God for you. We hope something has been said to encourage your heart and to get you moving, trusting, believing God. Amen. So we thank you. As we begin to cut off our internet audience, we want to let you know, I love you, and ain't nothing you can do about it. God bless you. Saints, as we're about to go into our communion service, we're going to ask our deacons and our deaconesses if they will.